Amen. We are drawing near to the end of our study in the book of Galatians. I'll probably run into Advent in just one more week, finish it off, and then we'll get our Christmas series, so no worries. If I was going to summarize Galatians in two sentences, I think I would do it this way. First, what Galatians tells us is that we are saved by grace, not the law. And that one, when we, I, don't, I won't say that we get it, because we still struggle to really believe that, but we need to hear it over and over again. But that one kind of makes sense. We are accepted by God, by Jesus' doing, not our own doing. Here's the second sentence, and this really summarizes the second part of the letter, and it's this. We live by the Spirit, not the law. Now, while we can understand the first one, that second one, for many of us anyway, probably is a little uncomfortable, uncertain, sounds a little mystical. What does it mean to live by the Spirit? But if you think about it, those two things really have to go together. If I am accepted by God purely by his grace and not by my works, then it only makes sense that to go forward in living for God, again, my works gain me nothing. That, too, has to be by his grace. God doesn't send us his son to save us. And then leave us to figure the rest of it out. He then sends us his spirit to indwell us, to live in us, and then empower us to follow him. So we are saved by grace and we live by grace. That means the Christian life is a life of of daily dependence. Daily seeking the Holy Spirit's help in living the way that I ought to. And the church... There's a group of people who ought to be doing that. A grace-centered, spirit-led community. But what does that look like on a Thursday morning? What we saw last week is that, at least one way it looks, one one way that this looks out, where this plays out, is that it looks like bearing one another's burdens. If I'm walking by the Spirit and becoming more like Jesus, then I move towards people's needs and not away from them. If I'm walking by the Spirit and becoming more like Jesus, then I move towards reconciling and restoring relationships, not away from them. That's what Paul tells us in the first part of Galatians chapter 6. Why? Why is that true of the believer? Well, because it's true of the Jesus that he follows. Jesus moves towards our need, not away from it. Jesus bears our burdens. He doesn't leave them to us. Jesus restores us to himself. And because the spirit of Jesus is at work in every person who believes in Jesus, then those same things hopefully become true of us. Now, you might say, Kevin, that's not natural for me. And I would say, me neither. And that's why we live by the Spirit and not by the law. 
But let's look at another facet of the Spirit-led life today. Galatians chapter 6, verse 6 is where we'll start. Page 975, I believe, if you're using the, the church Bible there. I'm going to read Galatians chapter 6, verses 6 through 10. Paul writes this. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. And especially to those who are of the household of faith. Thus far the reading of God's word. All flesh is like grass and all its glory is like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray and ask for his help. Lord, would you incline our hearts to you through your word by the power of your spirit. Liberate us from living by our own performance, believing that you will accept us if we just do everything right. Instead, would you empower us by believing that because Jesus has done everything right, now we can live. And would you show us this morning how to live by the power of the Spirit in the lives of others. Uh, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's the, uh, the, the big idea for the day. The Spirit enables us to give our lives away for the good of others. Now, to help us understand how that happens, I'm going to invite Nixon Bruner to come forward and help me answer a couple of questions. So he's being very brave this morning. I told him he wouldn't have to get on stage. We just use one of these mics. Good morning, Nixon. There we go. You can stand in front of it. Awesome. How are you this morning? Good. Good. All right. So I asked Nixon ahead of time. I gave him a little bit of prep so he was, he's not totally caught off guard. Nixon, what is your favorite fruit? Grapes. Grapes. Why grapes? Because they're sweet. Because they're sweet. Okay. That's a, that's a pretty good reason. Nixon, what do you need... If you're going to grow grapes, now you've got, let's say you've already got dirt, you've already got sun, you've already got water, what do you need in order to grow grapes? The seed. You need the seed. Well done. Thank you, Nixon. Everybody give Nixon a hand. All right. So Nixon has just uh, illustrated for us a, a universal principle. Uh, it's, God has built it into the fabric of life. And that is the, the principle that if you want to grow something, you have to sow seeds to that end. And so we're going to look at the principle that Paul gives us here. We're going to look at how he applies that principle. And then we're going to look at some encouragement that he gives us to uh, follow that principle. So 
The principle, you probably already guessed what it is. You see it there in verse 7 of chapter 6. Paul writes, whatever one sows, that will he also reap. In other words, you get out exactly what you put. Well, maybe not exactly. You get out what you put in. So if a farmer wants to grow a large crop of grapes, he has to sow grape seeds. He has to sow good seeds, right? You can't use bad seeds. You can't use rotten or dead seeds. And you usually have to sow a lot of seeds. And then there's a warning that Paul gives us with it. He says, do not be deceived. You cannot grow grapes if you sow turnips. Right? If, you, if you sow turnips, what are you going to get? Turnips, right? Don't, so Paul's saying, don't fool yourself. Don't lie to yourself. And I don't know about you, but I am an expert in self-deception. I really can. I mean, I, I may not be a genius, but I'm a fairly smart guy. And so if you give me enough time, I can come up with lots of reasons to justify my sinful behavior. We are experts at self-deception. We are experts at self-justification. I will come up with all kinds of reasons for not doing the right thing and all kinds of excuses for doing the wrong thing. That's how I work. But, Paul says, I may be fooling myself, but God is not mocked. To mock, to turn your nose at, uh, nose up at, to treat with contempt, to outwit. Paul's saying, you may be able to fool yourself, you can even possibly fool others, but you cannot fool God. What you reap, that you will sow. And then he shows us in verse 8 that that's not true just in the field. It's true in our lives. He says, the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. What does that mean to sow to my flesh? Well, if you go back a little bit into chapter 5, we learn that the flesh is my old sinful nature. It's still there. It still creates problems for me. So to sow to my flesh is to pander, pander and uh, coddle my sinful nature instead of to crucify it. Uh, if you're familiar with the uh, Florida Everglades, it's one of my favorite sermon illustrations because it's just so nasty. Um, so there's currently an invasive species taking over the Florida Everglades. They even have to do special hunting seasons to get rid of these bad boys. It's called the Burmese python. Do you know how the Burmese python made it to the Florida Everglades? Because somebody thought a Burmese python would make a good pet. Somebody brought one home and coddled it and pandered to it, kept it in a tank, and then it got big. And it started eyeing the other pets or the children. And that person said, you know what? Rather than chop its head off, which is what they should have done, they said, I'm going to go drop it off in the swamp where it can then grow and eat more things like alligators. Okay, that's crazy. That's how, that's what it looks like to sow to your sinful nature. 
That's, lo- that's what it looks like to indulge the flesh. Is to keep a Burmese python in your house and keep feeding it. If you have one right now in your home, cut its head off. Don't flush it down the toilet. Don't drop it off. Don't drop it off in the lake. Okay, uh, get rid of it. Um, yeah, it's a set of the flesh. So to hold a grudge, to wallow in self pity, to lust after another person, to covet. Jay mentioned. To think first and only of myself. This is what it looks like to sow seeds in the flesh. To sow flesh seeds. And what harvest comes from those seeds? Corruption, Paul says. Ruin. Decay. On the other hand, if we sow to the Spirit, the one who sows to the Spirit, Paul writes in verse 8, will from the Spirit reap eternal life. What does it look like to sow to the Spirit? How do I sow spiritual seeds? We set our minds on the things of God. Instead of harboring grudges and, and nursing a bitterness, we set our minds on God and His promises. We read things like what I just read from John Owen earlier in the service. Right? We meditate on the excellency of Jesus. To liberate ourselves from the flesh and to sow to the spirit. We make use of the means of grace. If you're unfamiliar with that phrase, what we, when we talk about the means of grace, we talk about those tools that God has provided for us to get his, to receive his grace. So word, the Bible, prayer, the fellowship of the gathering of the church. Right? Those are the means of God's grace. When we participate in those We sow to the Spirit. Now, as soon as I say that, I realize that that most of us approach spiritual disciplines like we approach our chores. Reading the Bible and washing the dishes, kind of on the same level. Now, unless you, maybe you really enjoy washing the dishes. Um, Maybe it's making your bed, vacuuming, cleaning the toilet, whatever. We kind of, we're like, okay. Yeah, I know I'm supposed to read the Bible. Okay, I'm going to try to read the Bible. Right? Again, we, we approach it kind of like we approach our chores. And I'll be honest, I don't know many people for whom regular Bible reading and prayer is not a struggle. So relax. You're in good company. It's a struggle for most. So what I want to encourage you to do is look at this from a harvest perspective. What kind of fruit, what kind of harvest do you want your life to be? What do you want to grow out of your life? As soon as you answer that question, then you need to answer this question. All right, what seeds do you need to sow? What regular things should you sow in your life so that you can reap a spiritual harvest? But... Even that is not enough. It'd be great if desire was enough. But you and I both know that establishing new disciplines and new habits is incredibly difficult. So the third question that I want you to ask yourself is, what help do I need? I met with a couple of guys, I met with a couple of guys and one of the regular themes is, I just don't know how to read the Bible. Or I try to read the Bible, but it doesn't make sense. 
So maybe that's a need. Maybe, maybe you'd think, okay, I know I'm supposed to read the Bible. I'd like to read the Bible. But when I come to the Bible and I open it, I just don't understand it. That's great. It's good to start with what you don't know. Because now you know how to ask for help. And we go back to last week's sermon about bearing burdens. So go ahead and ask yourself the question, what help do I need? Here's what, here are the seeds I want to sow. What kind of help do I need to sow those seeds in my life? What kind of learning do I need? What kind of accountability do I need? Ask yourself those questions. And this is where life together in the body comes in, right? We seek help and accountability from those who are further down the road than we are. That's okay. So think about that. Ask yourself that question, and then let's talk about it. Because I can think of four or five people. If that's your need, I can think of four or five people that I can connect you to. Right? Why would we do that? Because those who make that kind of spiritual investments, the investment will reap eternal life. That's the reward that is promised. That when we sow to the Spirit, we will, we will reap eternal life. That our, So we often think about the Christian life in terms of, okay, that one day, someday, one day eternal life. And that is true, but actually what the Bible teaches is that the, the life uh, of promise in the future, that eternal life, actually works its way backwards from eternity into the present. That the moment you believe in Jesus, a new life with God begins right there. And the more you sow into that life, the more that communion with God grows, the more that life increases. And that goes on and on into eternity. And so, now one more thing I would say about this, when it talks about sowing not to the flesh but to the spirit, this will mean that you have to say no to some things. You know, I don't know anybody, I haven't, I haven't met many people, unless maybe you're retired, uh, who aren't over busy, right? That the, that, the, that the schedule is already full. And so if you're going to make spiritual investments in your life, or you're going to try to get help from someone else to make spiritual investments in your life, it means you're going to have to make time. Now, it's possible, very possible, that your life is filled with lots of good things. So you're going to have to say no to some less good things. Because good goods make bad gods. So you're going to have to look at your life. You're going to have to evaluate. And you're going to have to say, okay, what do I need to say no to in order to say yes to spiritual life? In order to say yes to development and growth in grace. There was a, a lady um, that my wife knew in seminary. And she had this wonderfully helpful word of wisdom. She said, you have to use your no to guard your yes. So you've got to decide, what is it that I want to say yes to? And now I'm going to use no to guard that yes. That's what, that's what Paul is calling us to here. To sow to the Spirit so that we can reap eternal life. That's the principle. Right? And we don't need to fool ourselves. We're not going to get spiritual life if we, reap spiritual, if we sow spiritual death. You can't get grapes if you sow turnips. So that's an active choice on our part. We're going to have to choose to sow that which will bring us life. There's the principle. How does Paul apply it? And he does it in two ways. First, he gives us one in verse 6. 
He says, let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. What's he talking about? He's talking about supporting the work of the church, particularly the pastor. The word here for taught is where we get the word catechesis from. That's an old word. But it means to instruct, to learn. It tells you that's kind of the central role of the church is to catechize or to instruct people. And Paul says that one of the ways that we sow and reap life is that the one who is taught shares with the one who teaches. Now, you may be visiting this morning and be like, I knew it. They were going to talk about money. The church is always talking about money. And I would answer that objection two ways. One, we don't actually talk about money all that much here at Grace Fellowship. We, we teach through whole books of the Bible, so when it comes up, that's when we preach on it. But then there's also something else I would say to that, because I've heard that objection before, and I kind of want to be like, okay, no, 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 we don't talk about money a whole lot, just take it easy. But I didn't realize something. Yeah, we do, because we talk about money all the time. What's in the news right now? Inflation, high prices, we talk about money, right? We are, we are always concerned with, with our wealth and what we perceive to be a lack of or abundance of or whatever. So we're always, I would argue, thinking about money. So could it be more appropriate then for God's word to address one of those things that we're always thinking about anyway and we're always talking about anyway, what we do with our wealth? And what Paul says here. Right? You could view this economically. We give our money to what we value. We value not starving. So we buy food. We value not, uh, we, we value shelter. So we pay rent or we buy a home. But that also carries over into the other parts of our lives. We value being entertained. So we throw lots of seeds at Dish and DirecTV and AT&T and Disney. We want to be entertained. We love our hobbies. So we sow lots of seeds into those. And so you could take that economical, economic principle and you could say, if you value the ministry of the word, then you ought to support it with your money. Um. And that idea, and this is why people don't like it when the church talks about money, because that idea has often been abused. Uh, it's been abused a couple of ways. On the one hand, and I think this is what we're most familiar with, uh, the, the idea of supporting uh, a pastor or the work of the church, uh, has been, it was abused. it's been abused for a long time. That was actually one of the reasons that the Protestant Reformation, that was, that was one of the key reasons that Luther... Uh, hammered his theses to the 95, uh, his theses to the church door in Wittenberg because the Roman Catholic Church was extorting peasants in Germany to build this massive basilica in Rome. And they were doing it under the guise of, yeah, if you'll give us more money, we'll free your uh, loved ones from purgatory. Right? We got to build, we got to build a nice building and we're going to need to do it on your back even though you're struggling to make ends meet. Um, you see it in modern prosperity preachers. If you will just sow this seed of faith, then this ministry will grow. 
which means I can buy me a private jet and have a really nice suit. Right? So we've seen it abused that way. But let's even move it a little bit closer to home. Right? I think many of us would spot that. But how about lazy, self-indulgent pastors? That's a reality. That there are guys who make their living by this and they're just kind of phoning it in. Right? So we, we want to avoid that extreme. But then there's another way that it's abused. And this comes from the church end. This is where churches either keep their pastor in poverty... Uh, they find ways, even though, even though their own lives are pretty indulgent, they keep their pastor, they want to they keep the pastor humble. So we don't, need him to, we don't need him to get too big for his britches. Or they say, hey, listen, we pay your salary. Here's what you're going to teach. Here's what we want to hear from you, sir. Right? So you see abuses in both of those directions. It's one of the reasons why Paul, when he went to Corinth, did not take money from them. Because their expectation in the city of Corinth, the culture of Corinth, was such that uh, if, if you were a public philosopher, if you were a speaker, you had a patron. And that patron, because he kept you alive, kind of told you what you were going to say. And Paul said, nope, I want to be free of that. So I'll, I'll work with my own two hands when I preach the gospel to you. Now, that wasn't his practice everywhere. We see it right here. He says that it is right for the church to share all good things with the pastor. So how do we avoid those two forms of financial abuse? Well, I think it's in the word that Paul uses. It actually goes a lot further than just, hey, we've hired somebody to do a job. We're going to pay him to do the job. He actually uses the word share. That he who is taught the word should share all good things with the one who teaches. That word share is the word for fellowship. Mutual togetherness. The idea here is, is that the pastor is sharing the fruits of his labor with you. You share the fruits of your labor with him. There's a give and a take in that relationship. Right? Again, the idea of community. The idea of sharing. Now, I can say for my own part uh, that I don't have to really worry about this. I'm thankful for a generous church. I'm thankful that for, a, for a, a large and generous pastor appreciation gift. I'm thankful for your words of encouragement and support and prayers. So thankfully, I think this is a message that by and large, we're already applying in the life of our church. But I would encourage you that if you're not giving, if you would say... Yeah, I can't really do that right now. Evaluate. Go back, go back to your finance, finances. Evaluate you know, the balance of your checkbook. Where, where does most of your money go? Where do you spend your money and time? Are you actually able to give when you think you're not? Take, take some stock of your life and do some serious soul searching and say, Hmm, can I be more generous than I am? Am I withholding because I'm trying to indulge my flesh uh, when I should be sowing to the Spirit? All right? So there's that part. One way that we sow is sow and reap is by supporting the work of the church. But then he gives us another one. Look in verse 10. He says, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. 
Not only do we give, but we actually give ourselves away. We don't just give our money, we give our lives. We do good. He says, as you have opportunity. So this means, right, you may not be able to help everybody. You may not be able to do good to everybody. So for some of us, particularly if you're a very compassionate person, you see need and you just get overwhelmed by it. It's like, oh my gosh, how can I, how can I meet all of the needs? And to that person, Paul says, as you have opportunity. We don't live in every place. We don't live at every time. Right? We live in a certain place. We live at a certain time. And we have certain opportunities. So as we have opportunity, we should do good. And he says we should do good to everyone. Now, there are some who would want to divide word ministry and deed ministry. But I think we see right here, and I think we see in the life of Jesus, that word ministry and deed ministry always go together. We see that to be true in the history of the church. That it was the early church that, that, that out, of, out, of the, out of the teaching of the church that things like hospitals and schools came about. Because the early Christians wanted to do good. It was the Christians during the the plagues that ravaged Europe. When everybody else would leave the city, it was the Christians who would stay behind to minister to the dead. Excuse me, to minister to the dying and help bury the dead. They were doing good to everyone. And, he says, particularly those of the household of faith, especially the, the Christian family, the church. Right? We can do good to everyone, but our first responsibility is at home, to our own family here. We don't exclude others, but we start here. And this is actually one of the primary functions of the deacons in our church. They are tasked with developing, as our book of church order says, the liberality of the members. Now, you may have heard, like, you hear the word liberal in there and you think, oh, no, we want to develop liberals? Right? Liberality, generosity. That's what the deacons are called to do, to help people develop a generous heart and a giving spirit. That's why they're having this meeting today, that if you feel compelled, you ought to go to. How can I help do good to others, especially the household of faith? So those are the two ways that the Spirit uh, leads us to sow. But then we need some encouragement. Because you know... If you've ever tried to grow anything, just how difficult it is. There's sowing and waiting and tending and waiting and pruning and waiting and weather and waiting. Right? It's really easy if you're sowing to give up. But if a farmer only sows half of his field, then he will only reap half of his field. And so Paul says this to encourage us in verse 9. He says, Let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. What will we reap? Go back to verse 8. The one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. You may not see the benefits in this life. 
you may not see everything that you hope to see or could expect to see from sowing spiritual seeds. But Paul says, keep sowing. Keep doing good. And one day, you will reap if you do not give up. The call of the Christian life is a call to give your life away. But how do we answer that call? We answer that call only by seeing Jesus as the great giver himself. My problem is not my limited resources. You may think that. Well, I would give or I would do more. I just don't have enough. But that's not my problem. My problem is not my limited resources. My problem is my heart. And the only way that my heart is warmed and opened more and more is by seeing the free grace of God for me in Christ. As that happens, as my heart is warmed, then my hands will be opened more and more to sow good things. I hope that you know the freedom and grace of Jesus. As we move to a time of prayer, we're praying this week for our city and for our nation. Our passage for that is 1 Timothy 2, 1 and 2. You should see it in your bulletin, maybe on the screen. But let's go to the Lord in prayer.